2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Tuesday, September 6, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home editorial director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's episode is Slash Home news writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott.
3: Hey, everyone, how's it going?
2: Uh, how was your, what is it, Labor Day weekend?
3: I, I believe it was Labor Day weekend.
2: Yes. <laughs> Did you do anything fun?
3: I was supposed to. Uh, I was supposed to go to Dallas with my girlfriend for an uh, art exhibit, and I ended up feeling uh, really crappy on Saturday, so I ended up having to sit it out. Uh, uh, so I didn't do much. Uh, played a lot of Halo, uh, but that was, you know, eh, such is life sometimes.
2: Yeah, I uh, went to Orlando to go to Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights 31. And this is the big uh, haunted house event. Uh, I did a video on ordinary adventures. I'll link that in the show notes. If you want to go check it out, it's, it's awesome. Uh, this year was different because usually the event has a lot of IP houses, like some big, big IP. And the biggest IP this year was the weekend. The, uh, the music artist, The Weekend had a, a house called The After Hours Nightmare, uh, which was a lot of fun. Had his music. Uh, Kitcher was dancing and then screaming and then dancing and then screaming. It was like uh, walking through his music videos, if you've ever seen any of his music videos. It was His music videos come to life in a, in a horrific way. Um, but uh, the, the other houses I liked, uh, they had this Bugs Eden Alive house. Which uh, was, uh, it, it was tons and tons of bugs. They end up growing, becoming, you know, uh, the size of humans. Uh, it's, it's done in this 50s campy horror way. It was awesome. And the other one I wanted to say, this is my favorite, is uh, another one of their original houses this year. It was called Dead Man's Pier, Winter's Wake. And this is about a New England fishing village where undead fishermen emerge from the waves to seek their revenge. And it was so good. I don't know why Universal, especially with them having Peacock, uh, why they aren't doing like – they have all these original mazes, Ryan. I'm not sure if you follow that at all. But um, they create these elaborate stories and stuff. And I feel like it's such like an obvious idea for them to do like a Halloween Horror Nights anthology tv series on peacock where like you know a director comes in and does you know dead man's pure winter wake and right yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. It, it just seems like a home run to me because there's such like a rabid fan base for this stuff like people travel from around the world to this event every year it sells out um but if, if you've ever if you've never seen it check out the, the video I'll link it in the show notes. it was a great time
3: well if peacock can afford to lose some more money maybe they should do it but,
2: uh... <laughs> Yeah. OK. Uh, talking about losing money <laughs> this weekend, we, we had something called National Cinema Day. We did. And um, I, I don't even know if anybody listening to this actually knows that happened.
3: I mean, look, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> so it was it was uh, thrown. it was kind of brought together by the National Association of Theater Owners through their nonprofit arm. They were trying to figure out a way like, okay, we got to do something because like, you know, we've talked a lot about the box office is pretty barren right now. Well, people paid attention. Eight point one million tickets were sold on Saturday through this um, endeavor. So, you know, a lot of three dollar tickets were sold. Um, So that was the idea. Any movie, any format, no restrictions, pretty much every theater in the country participated. So a whole lot of tickets were sold. Um, And the idea was to just get foot foot traffic to movie theaters. You know, it wasn't about generating a lot of revenue, like the studios were on board for like, OK, we're not obviously now we're going to make a ton of money here. But, you know, the idea is to to help out the theaters right now. And yeah, it did. It, it got a lot of foot traffic in there, but it's one day, you know. And yeah, you got a lot of traffic for one day. But, you know, then after that, you're left still with a barren laced land and la- wasteland until mid-October. <laughs> so it was a nice short term solution. But, it, it, you know, again, it's one day.
2: And you're selling tickets for three dollars a piece, right? So, if you have eight million tickets sold, I mean that ends up being twenty four million dollars, right? Right, and, so. and again,
3: so it's so it's a lot less. And and the theaters, you know, they, they may they're not making as much on the ticket sales, but the idea is they're going to sell a lot more concessions those days. So like so, you know, that's really where the majority of their money is made. So that was more important. But yeah, the the uh, yeah, it, again, again, it's a good gimmick. It's a nice thing. I hope it returns next year it's a good you know it's a good thing i think it's a nice thing but but it 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 really just highlights a larger problem right now
2: what what high what problem is it highlighting
3: well that we have two months on the calendar left with no big releases that are (laughs) leaving movie theaters to fend for themselves and they can't really do that because that's not how this business works
2: yeah, well, that's a problem that's unique to this year and this time. That's not going to be something that we see happen next year, which makes me wonder, will they do this again? Because I'm sure next summer, late summer, won't have this problem.
3: Yeah, we'll see. I, I hope they do it again because it did seem like a good idea and it did seem like it went well. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, it was just, you know, leading into that point that, you know, the, the box office's weekend for Labor Day weekend was abysmal. I mean, just absolutely abysmal. I, you know, no two ways about it.
2: I honestly thought people would return to the theaters to see that Spider-Man No Way Home re-release.
3: I thought they would more than they did. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, But I think it speaks to the sheer volume of money that movie made in its original run and just the fact that it's been available to rent or buy for so long now that, you know, it (laughs) it wasn't going to be enough to get people out. And I actually don't know, I actually don't know how well Sony, like, because I don't think they were going to pump a bunch of ad money into that. So that also made it harder for people to know. And, you know.
2: Yeah. uh, How well did it do this weekend?
3: Yeah. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the four day numbers, meaning that we're going to include the Monday holiday in these numbers. So not the three day, the four day, Uh, four day numbers, Top Gun Maverick ascended to the top of the charts again with $7.9 million uh, in it's 15th weekend of release.
2: Is that a record at all of like a movie being number one 15 weeks after it's been released? It must uh, I be. do,
3: I'm not positive about that because I think Avatar might have done that. I think Titanic might have done that. I think uh, th- there might be other examples, but it's certainly rare and <laughs> at best. But it's also I mean, it'd be different if it was a lot more money and it wasn't very much money. And and again, we're dealing with another weekend of a sub eight million dollar movie taking the top you know so i don't know that that was pretty bad a bullet train came in number two with 7.3 and then the no way home re release what was billed as the more fun stuff version which had an extra 11 minutes of footage made 6.5 million um so uh you know it also has gotten a release overseas it's only made 2.6 so you know sony was looking at another maybe about $10 million because I think what they were trying to do is they were about 110 million away from hitting the $2 billion mark. I think maybe they thought maybe just maybe this could catch some fire and, but it's just not going to get there.
2: That's too bad. Um, okay. So it's it's pretty sad weekend at the box office. Yeah.
3: Like to that point, like one of the, you know, jaws was re-released in 3d for the first time ever also was on IMAX screens that made $3.3 $3 million, which is, I mean, that's cool, but it's like, oh my God, like that's what, that's where we're at right now is, you know, we're like, you know, these, these are the movies that are making money. It's, it's.
2: I, if you I, had yeah. asked me, Ryan, when is the perfect time to release Jaws in 3d? I would tell you right now, and I'm guessing it costs more money than $3 million to do a 3d conversion of Jaws.
3: Probably, but I also think it'll be in theaters for a while. But then the other thing is from Universal Pictures, every Jaws has been in profits for, you know, 40 years or whatever, at least, you know? So like every dime, the, the thing is, then you just have that now because Jaws will be something that is played over. You know what I mean? It's it, so it, that's you an have it asset. For home
2: video. You can release it on Blu-ray 3d yeah, or whatever.
1: That's an
3: asset you now have. And so I think, whatever investment there was, you maybe recoup some of that through box office, but it's just the idea that now you have one of the most profitable and beloved movies of all time in another format you can exploit down the road.
2: I'm guessing you didn't see it in 3D. I
3: didn't. Uh, I don't really like 3D movies, but I was going to try to go catch it on IMAX. I just didn't have the time this weekend. Um you know because that would be cool. But but um yeah it, it seems it's been... like such
2: a weird movie to do in 3D. Like I, I feel like older what is the oldest movies that we've seen i i obviously titanic but that's like well what,
3: i mean 90s? you go back to you know glasses 3d you know friday the 13th you know in 3d oh yeah but know. those
2: were like made in 3 i'm saying like a 3d conversion of like an older film
3: uh i don't follow that stuff too much cuz again th- th- i generally don't like 3d 3d tends to give me a headache so yeah um you know i i, I but I, i'm not sure but i but i think the thing is jaws had that really nice 4k restoration not long ago and I'm talking real nice if you haven't seen it. The 4K restoration of Jaws is is stunning. So I think that, you know, you talk about, sure, it's an old movie, but it don't look old no more. So, you know, I think that might have helped.
2: Yeah, and I'm guessing you also didn't see the Spider-Man No Way Home re-release?
3: No, I was kind of planning on it, but then the initial kind of buzz around it was that a lot of it's in the early part of the movie, and it's it's kind of you know, there's more stuff at school and more, more of that. And it just didn't seem that necessary to me. And, you know, so I, I mean, I might, if I have a little bit of time later this week, I might go pop into a screening, but you know, I got other stuff. Like I still haven't seen bodies, bodies, bodies yet. And that's kind of losing screens fast. And uh, you know, there's some other stuff like that's the big one right now that I'd rather go see if, you know, given the choice. Uh, So, you know, such is the way,
2: yeah, I was traveling in in Florida this weekend, so I obviously didn't get to see any of these. But I was I was curious about Jaws. I, I would be interested to see what that looks like in 3D, just because that seems like such a strange idea. Um, although they did do, you know, there was Jaws 3D. Did you ever see Jaws 3D? Yeah,
3: it's not very good. I saw it on uh, <laughs> saw it on TV years and years ago when I was a kid. It was on cable. That's uh, bad. Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, Jaws, you know, Jaws two is okay. You know, people kind of give Jaws two shit, but Jaws two's okay. But it really does kind of go on a downward slope because because Jaws two's okay, Jaws three's not very good, and and Jaws the Revenge is oh boy, is that not a good movie? Uh, that's got to be the worst movie Michael Caine's ever been in, right? Like, there's I I haven't seen all of his movies, but that can't, <laughs> I, I I can't imagine he was in a worse movie.
2: Yeah, I, well, he has a lot of movies. I I'm I'm not too, too sure, but yeah, um, but I I want to see the No Way Home, uh extended cut or the more what are the more fun
3: it? stuff version more i think what pisses me off is i like bought the 4k copy of that movie and now they're going to have another cu- like version of the movie and you're going to clearly clearly they're going to do a home video release with that on it so you yeah. know you're going so to kind of piss me off a little bit but whatever
2: <laughs> okay let's let's move on let's talk about uh dc films i know a week or two ago we had heard that dan lynn The producer of It and the Lego movie, he was going to – he was going to be – he was, I guess, in talks and some reports that he actually had signed on to become the new head of DC Films. But it turns out that isn't the case after all.
3: Yeah. So um, what we know is that David Zaslav, a man we've talked about a lot recently, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, is looking to revamp DC all together, you know, DC films, all of it, the, the film and TV unit primarily though. Um, uh, Walter Hamada is the head of it right now, but he is departing after Black Adam. It has been widely reported. Uh, uh, he took over kind of after the release of justice league and, came in at a pretty tumultuous time. And I don't know. I, I Hamad has, in my opinion, been done a good job, but anyway, that's beside the point. But anyway, so Dan Lin, it had been reported at the end of August. Uh, for those that don't know his name, he's a very successful producer, uh, produced, you know, it, the Lego movie, the Aladdin remake, stuff like The Departed, The Two Popes for Netflix. He's all over the place, but he's, you know, very good resume of success, success good relationship with Warner Brothers. Uh, it had been reported that he was the the man. He was in talks to, to sign on the dotted line and get this job. Uh, the only problem is he has a production company of his own called Rideback. And so he has a lot of projects with other studios through that company. And so they were trying to figure out how that was going to work. And it got to the point, uh, as reported by CNBC, that they had even exchanged term sheets and were that close to getting a deal done. But ultimately Lynn declined and decided to stay with his production company. And now Warner brothers discovery is back looking for someone else to fill this job. So, uh, and it's a big job, uh, because they essentially want DC's answer to what Marvel has with Kevin Feige. But as many people have pointed out, Kevin Feige is a singular man. There, there is no, (laughs) you can't just, you can't just replace that guy or every studio in town would have one. Um, so yeah. There, you know, other names have been floated. Uh, Emma Watts, who used to be the uh, film chief at 20th century Fox. Uh, there has been some discussion of, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the Arrowverse architect himself, uh, Greg Berlanti. Uh, but, but I, I don't know how seriously that, that Warner brothers is considering him for the job. So, but I guess now, and Emma Watts it's worth noting was, was apparently approached back in April and kind of didn't go for it, but It seems like maybe they've circled back to talking to her. So I don't (laughs) know Um, the problem. You know, so it's a big job. It's anyway. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Sorry.
2: No, I was going to say, let's get into speculation here. If Dan Lin was so close to signing, like it sounded like the term sheet, like there was it sounded like it was going to happen. What do you think made him step away?
3: Well, again, he's got a very successful production company, and I think he just didn't I don't think it was anything insidious. I just think that he didn't fully want to walk away from that. And, you know, I think the idea was that Warner brothers was going to end up taking a stake in his company. So that would be less of a conflict of interest or whatever, but you know, being the head of DC films, he, that would be his full-time job. He would probably have very little time to devote to other projects. So uh, it seems like that was, you know, the thing, but who knows? I mean, uh, David Zaslav hasn't, developed the best relationship with filmmakers up to this point so maybe lynn didn't want to hitch his wagon to to that you know i I don't know i don't want to speculate too much but it does seem like more than anything he just didn't want to abandon his production company
2: i don't understand who you get to for that role of the head of dc films again
3: it's not easy you yeah it's there's no other feige out there so
2: because the reason why Feige works so well is he is such a fan of the comics, and I feel like you can't just bring a Hollywood executive or a you know Hollywood producer in who has just read a couple or watched a couple of movies and be like, okay, you're in charge of the entire DC you know universe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just feel like that doesn't work.
3: Well, but I also think the thing with Feige is he came up slow. He you know produced the X Men movies. And yeah. then produced other stuff, and then he had the and then he had the opportunity to build the Marvel Cinematic Universe from scratch. The problem with whoever takes over this job is that they're coming in Zaslov wants a cohesive DC universe, but you've got the Batman that exists in its own universe and it's getting spin offs on HBO Max in a sequel. The Joker is getting a sequel that exists in its own universe. You've got problems with the Flash, you've got Black Adam, you've got other stuff that's still kind of anchored to the Snyderverse. How do you make this cohesive? What do you do? It is not an easy job. And, you know, Walter Hamada was apparently building to a Crisis on Infinite Earth movie. And that would have been the reset button that they were looking for. Now that plan is out the window. I don't know. So, there's, so it seems like an unenviable and thankless job, at least in the beginning. I don't know who wants that job. I'll tell you what I know. Greg Berlanti, working with a very limited budget, made a very, very, very successful cinematic universe on the CW while producing about 10 other hit shows for other networks. I can't imagine what that guy could do in that sandbox on a bigger level with money and resources. He's also a successful, accomplished feature director as well, so to me I think he seems like maybe a safe choice, but I think safe is what you want right now.
2: Do you is safe what you want right now i feel like safe is what zazaloff wants right now (laughs) Uh,
3: look i don't think dc can risk a lot right now i don't think i think the brand is too important and also I, i let's not discount what berlanti has done that guy's resume he might be the most prolific tv producer working today if not ever the guy had like 18 shows on the air at once it was nuts you know and most of them were big hits and you know, do not discount what he did with the Arrowverse. Like people really love that universe. And, you know, that all stemmed from him. The The guy clearly has as an understanding and fondness for that universe and how to sort of do that stuff. Yeah. And, and the Arrowverse was disparate universe that was disparate universes that came together through a multiverse. He seems like a guy that could do this to me. You know, I don't think you want to just say, oh, but he's a TV guy that's not really fair. I think he could do the job and he would be my pick right now. If you gave me the keys to the kingdom, but
2: I I think the disappointing thing there is I've liked some of his feature stuff. Like he was the one that did love Simon, right?
3: That was my favorite, one of my favorite movies of 2017. I thought love Simon was great.
2: And I feel like as much as I love DC movies, but I, I, I kind of want him to do more movies like that, that aren't, you know,
3: Hey, I, I would be all for that if he doesn't take this job. Absolutely, because he's got a lot less shows on the air right now. He's got yeah. time to go direct again. That would be great. I, as a film fan, I would be happy for that. But looking at the overall landscape, like, you know, I can't imagine what he could do with DC. And that's imagining a guy like Berlanti getting that chance is exciting to me for DC. And I'm not normally a DC guy as much as I am a Marvel guy. The idea of getting excited about something like that is interesting and. You know, yeah, I would love him to do more stuff. So I, you know, but yeah, I'm with you. It's I'm just sort of looking at the field and like, well, I don't know who's available, and there just aren't that many people.
2: I almost wonder, like, is there a way if you can't replace Feige with one person, is there a way we could replace him with two? And by that, I mean have a guy that's like a good Hollywood producer, and then have someone that's a good. Creative, like someone actually, maybe even from DC, like a a Jim Lee. I mean, I I know he was involved in,
3: yeah, yeah. uh, I think, yeah. Well, Jim Lee's also the head of, you know, DC Comics currently. Yeah, like he's he, but but, um, yeah. I think maybe there's an opportunity there, but I also think that messes up the what they're trying to do. They want a singular person guiding the ship, and there is a argument to be made that that is helpful if you have the right person but yeah i think you know maybe you have like because that's where emma watts very good producer but maybe not so much creative but then you get like emma watts working with someone yeah maybe like jim lee i'm not sure who but you know then you have like a, a, a chief cre- a dc's chief creative and a dc you know ceo or whatever and you sort of have those two people working i'm not sure what the titles would be but it's possible but i don't think that's what they want to do
2: yeah I just feel like it's impossible to uh, <laughs> to to replicate Kevin Feige. Unless, a, uh, it is
3: impossible. It is impossible.
2: Unless you get Kevin Feige, but I don't think that's going to happen either. Well,
3: so. there were well, there were reports a while back that d- 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 apparently I don't remember who reached out to who, but apparently Feige had at least talked to Warner Brothers at one point. That clearly didn't go anywhere, but there was at least a conversation had. Yeah
2: if i was disney i would spend every cent i have in keeping feige
3: but they've done that they they removed people he didn't like i think uh mike perlmutter <laughs> the producer he yeah. gone, you know kevin uh, feige. Lou, feige i you
1: think know, uh,
3: oh yeah sorry but but uh ike perlmutter ike perlmutter, there it is. or ike sorry but, yeah but but uh but um feige is not just the head of marvel studios now feige is the entire head of creative for all of marvel like so he is you know, he's got and he reports, I think, directly to um, the CEO. So, I mean, he has little, little, you know, he's I think I think Disney has done what they can to accommodate him.
2: Yeah. I just wonder if, I, if I'm Kevin Feige. Is there a point where, like, it's not a challenge anymore? Do you know what I mean? Like, like do do you think he still finds it creatively exciting?
3: I don't know. Having seen him on stage at San Diego Comic-Con over the summer, he seems like a guy who's still pretty into it.
2: Still pretty um, into it, okay.
3: Yeah, but but I think the thing is, like, I think that he would maybe be more interested in a Lucasfilm job than he would a DC job.
2: It's tough, though, but I've, I've talked about that in the past, and I've even talked to him about that um, on the record, and... Uh, I, I just feel like he is not willing to go from producing how many films and TV shows he does a year to stepping. Literally, it's a step down. It's like a demotion to go to Star Wars at this point. In he, so,
3: in, so, in some way, maybe, but but I'm just saying that like I could because he loves Star Wars, yeah. so I think that like I I don't know that he has the same love for DC that he has the same love for Marvel. You know what I mean? I'm not sure because yeah. I think part of what works is that he does a, he does have a genuine passion for for what he's doing and i think that would be the key there
2: yeah i think one day we're going to see feige heading up the the entire studio uh t- on the movie side of things
3: oh um, disney's entire like film yeah. like walt disney pictures essentially
2: yeah i think he wants to do that i think he wants to i i think he wants to have it all and i think uh that's a way for him to do some stuff in star wars
3: i mean look i couldn't <laughs> i i i wouldn't see that as an impossibility the only the only the only hesitation i think disney would have there would be like who takes his job at marvel you know what i mean can he still but but no you're i'm but the thing is marvel's pretty good at elevating people through their own ranks so maybe at some point someone within those marvel ranks would be able to sort of you know do what he does i don't know yeah interesting thoughts
2: Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all the work at Slash Home.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at peter.com. And please rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.